Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It was when you came on your official visit, they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame, and you got the... And there's a... Now that's a follow-up question, (laughs) Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow-up question right there. If you can be physical, and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that'll always be the same. But I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you'll probably cost me around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold and ND Insider Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for ND Insider and the South Bend Tribune. I think we've set a record for the most amount of news per day to occur between podcast recordings, Eric. Head coach Brian Kelly ditched Notre Dame for LSU on Monday. By Wednesday night, athletic director Jack Swarbrick was prepared to make defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman its new head coach, according to multiple reports and sources. The news might not become official until after Notre Dame learns its bold destination on Sunday, but we're here to discuss as much of it as we can as of Thursday afternoon. Um, Eric, I think just let's start with talking about Marcus Freeman first, and then I think we'll get into a little bit of discussion about Brian Kelly, where I guess to start, do you, do you think that Marcus Freeman was the right choice for Notre Dame's next head coach? I do. It took me a while to get there. Um, and I, and I arrived there before Jack Swarbrick did, but not by much. And the, the thing about it is, I, I think that Luke Fickle was a safer choice. Uh, but the more I thought about it, and the Luke Fickle thing had complications with timing. And that's that was difficult to deal with. The, uh, the thing about Marcus Freeman and Luke Fickle is you're getting similar philosophies, at least defensively. You're getting a lot of ph- similar philosophies in terms of how to put a team together, how to be a leader, because those guys were so tied together. Not only did they coach together for four years at Cincinnati, um, Luke coached um, Marcus at Ohio State. Um, and they were together in, in other junctures when, uh, Luke was a young aspiring assistant coach. And so, you know, this wasn't, you know, if you just hired Mark or you were making this hire in a vacuum and you didn't have to, um, weigh other factors, the history of coaches with no head coaching experience at Notre Dame not doing well and it and it's a it's a bad track record um 
haunted me. And yet it's been done at other schools many times and at, at, at big time schools. Um, and so maybe Notre Dame was picking the wrong assistant coaches or the wrong coaches with no head coaching experience. So what I'm getting to is I do think Marcus Freeman was the right choice. It just took me a while to get there, just as it took me a while to tell you what my process was. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I was of the opinion, and I still believe this, that if, if Luke Fickle's the guy you want, you take whatever losses you get between now and then, um, no matter how long that takes, because I, I just think he's too good of a coach and that he could eventually make up for whatever um, – losses that you do incur over that time um but i that doesn't mean i i don't think marcus freeman is is the right guy for the job i think i think he can be very successful in this job in this role i think certainly the immediate impact is is as big as it could get i don't i don't know that any hire that notre dame could have made could have made as big of an impact in the next few weeks or even um maybe even through the start of next season um than marcus than Marcus Freeman. Um, I think we'll certainly learn what he is like and how good of a head coach he will become, what that learning curve looks like for him. Um, certainly he's, he has learned and adapted and adjusted and become a better defensive coordinator in his young career. Um, so there's reason to believe that he could probably do the same thing as a head coach. Um, I, I just, I just, to me, it felt important that the reason that he was hired the, the timeline didn't play as big of a role as I think a lot of people wanted to make it. And I, I understand that opinion. I think it's a valid, valid opinion, but I, I think, I think when we talk, every, everything just seems so precious when it comes to recruiting that it can't be fixed somewhere down the road. Uh, when it, in reality, like Notre Dame has a very good class and it's important to keep these guys, but some of these guys aren't going to pan out anyways. So um, you're, you're going to, you're going to be able to, fix those situations if you get a good head coach that can recruit well and can put a staff together that can recruit well. Now, obviously um, the recruiting questions don't seem, won't be persisting because of the staff stability that Notre Dame has right now. um, And the excitement that Marcus Freeman will bring, because a lot of people like him. If you talk to him, it's hard to not like him. Um, No matter what's your age, I think he's just an impressive person. Um, And and he's a very captivating speaker and engages well in conversation. So I think, um, from that perspective, it's a home run. Um, I think there's certainly answers to see. I mean, your questions to be answered um, in terms of how what he is like as a coach and how he can handle all the responsibilities that come with being a head coach at Notre Dame. Um, but I sort of agree with you that it's it's a risk worth taking um, for Notre Dame right now. What I guess. In terms, of, I sort of walk through the reasons I have maybe some concerns, and not that they're huge. But what, what, what to you are the biggest reasons for concerns, or maybe hesitations that you want to see how this plays out with Marcus Freeman? Well, just watching how um, even coaches with head coaching experience had a steep learning curve at Notre Dame. Um concerns me for anybody that walks in the door uh, because, I mean, it took Brian Kelly a while uh, to figure out not only how to play the games that he had to play with play um, because you're pulled in so many different directions and how to restructure his time 
because he couldn't do it the way he did it at Cincinnati. Uh, he had to delegate more because he was pulled in other directions. And then how eventually to fight for what he needed and to push back on some of the things that had been done a certain way for so long. So anybody you plug in, including Marcus, how good are they going to be at those kind of things? The one thing that gives Marcus some leg up on some of the other people they could have named is that I think Marcus gets Notre Dame more than Brian Kelly did walking the door. And part of that was his recruiting experience. It came down to Ohio State and Notre Dame with Marcus Freeman. Um, and As a high school player. As a high school football player coming yeah. out of Huber Heights, Wayne High School. And, and so Marcus really fell in love with Notre Dame. But the allure of the home state Buckeyes versus uh, – Notre Dame program that was, you know, coming off of Bob Davier. It was during Tyrone Willingham, and, and Marcus liked Tyrone Willingham a lot. But but the allure of Ohio State was just too much for him at that standpoint. He just seems really adaptable. The other thing is, again, like this year, when things weren't working out for him on defense, I think he was patient. I think Kelly was patient with him. Uh I think that he did a great job of listening to the voices around him and making some changes. And I think if he's willing to do that as a head coach, uh, I think that is going to be really smart for him. So if he weren't, if he wanted to show everybody, well, I'm the head coach now, so I, I don't need to listen to anybody. And I don't think that's his personality. So Again, you know, can how good is he at putting out fires? How good is he at fixing things? Um, you know, the fact that he played in a, a high-profile program helps because he's used to the scrutiny already. Um, so, again, my concerns are just at those junctures where he's facing a crisis and they're hap they happen at Notre Dame no matter who you are. Right. How will he handle that? Who will be his supports? Um, you know, when he was at Cincinnati, he had Luke Fickle, um, and they, um, talked their way through, um, challenges, but I'll give Marcus a lot of credit. He had no problem standing up in a meeting and challenging Luke Fickle about some defensive concept. And I think that was good training for what he's going to face at Notre Dame. Yeah, I think another important part of this Marcus Freeman hire is that it seems like a lot of Notre Dame's coaching staff is staying in place. And I want to make sure I don't leave anyone out, <laughs> but uh, um, first we, we heard from director of football performance, Matt Bayless, and he indicated that he's staying at Notre Dame offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese told the team that he's playing, staying at Notre Dame, Mike Elston, defensive line coach who could become the defensive coordinator. Um, he says that he is staying at Notre Dame. He tweeted a, as much. Um, we've done some reporting to confirm that. Running backs coach Lance Taylor, tight ends coach John McNulty, cornerbacks coach Mike Mickens, and safety coach Chris O'Leary all intend on staying. Um, so there's go not going to be a big staff transition, at least in the interim. I, I'm curious to see if any of that changes once the coaching carousel con continues to play out after Notre Dame's postseason ends. But I think the plan for most of these guys is is to stay beyond beyond the end of this season. 
Um, so that that is going to be a, a very um, important thing for Notre Dame and, and lessens the the turnover um, between seasons and the continuity. I think will be important. What do you, do you think that says more about Marcus Freeman, more about Notre Dame, or more about Brian Kelly that all these guys are sort of staying put here at Notre Dame on Marcus Freeman's staff? I think uh, all of those come into play. I think the way Brian Kelly did not keep the assistants in the loop, that they were out on the road recruiting, giving presentations, some of them with him, (laughs) um, I think left a bad taste. And people say, well, is there any good way to do it? Yeah, I do think there is. I do think you have to share that with your assistants. Um, You know, and you have to say, I got to swear you to secrecy, you know, if any of you guys talk about this, but I am being pursued. I think they have a right to know that. Um, I think that Notre Dame is, I think they see what potential is here with Notre Dame. I wrote about this this week that I think it's an awakening giant. I think that they're, they've worked so hard to get it to this point. And there are these potentially great recruiting classes coming up in this one that's going to sign in December and, and, and the one that's being put together beyond it for the 2023 class. I think there's an incredible opportunity, and I think they see that. And Marcus won him over. I mean, you know, a guy that's on the job for 11 months to be looked at as a leader, not just by the players and recruits, but looked at by his peers as a guy that they're willing to follow. They're willing to follow Marcus Freeman ahead of a guy that is the all-time winningest coach at Notre Dame. Again, in a different area code and a different um, set of cuisine. Um, You know, maybe some of them don't like crawfish, but uh, I think all those things factored into why they stayed. And, And I'll tell you, that's that's a big part of, I think, why people are so excited because it's not just Marcus. It's keeping a big part of the important part of the staff intact. Yeah, I, I wanted to backtrack a little bit at, because we didn't we didn't get on here and talk in between Marcus Freeman's uh, hiring and Brian Kelly's departure. What how how, how surprised were you Monday? When, when news came out that, that Brian Kelly was leaving Notre Dame? If you had called me and told me that you were leaving the business to become a barista, <laughs> I would have been less shocked about that than, um, than Brian Kelly going to LSU. Just because of how hard he fought for things and how much that became part of his identity, how much it became part of his sales pitch, and how sincere that dream felt. And then to walk away from that without being able to really voice his reasoning clearly, you know, as, as he's gone through the week, it's evolved a little bit, but ultimately it came to me, it came down to money. He says a new challenge. um, And then there are hints that maybe Notre Dame wasn't moving fast enough on the Google amino athletic complex expansion. Um, I think, I think this was, uh, a case of him getting bowled over by a lot of money. And, and again, I'm not in that position, you know, 
If I could make more money, I would certainly want to do so. But for me, it's pragmatic. You know, I don't want to be living in a box when I'm retired. <laughs> um, with in that position, I, I can't relate to it. How many millions do you need to be happy? Is it ego? Um, it just, to me, I think I will look back at this 10 years from now and still think that this was one of the strangest moments in a long career for me in sports journalism. Yeah. I, I think someone had asked me, was this, was this the craziest day? I think, I think it was my, is this the craziest day you've ever had on the job? And I said, well, the it's craziest the second craziest. Yeah. The craziest <laughs> was the day Desmond wrote a story about Manti Teo and I, yeah. nothing will ever match the feeling I had in my stomach when, when yeah. that happened. Um, but that, this was, this was the, I mean, maybe the most, the busiest, like it was like, okay, we'll, we'll get to, we got to get to work. We got stuff to do. I did uh, I mean, even earlier in the day when it came out that LSU was sort of trying to make this happen, I think we we weren't of the opinion that it, that it was realistic to happen even until sort of the very end. I, I kidded about it. I told <laughs> Carter that the guy that wrote, if he thinks that that's going to happen, is drinking Jose Cuervo or talking to Jose <laughs> Cuervo, the tequila maker. Yeah, so I, I think uh, certainly surprising to me. I, 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 I get the money thing. I, I have to wonder, and I don't have a, any reporting on this. It seems like there had to be more underlying issues with Brian Kelly's comfort moving forward at Notre Dame um, than just the money aspect of it because of like, yes, it is more money, but it's not like demonstrably more money uh, um, down there at LSU and, and, and the extra work that I believe it's going to take to sort of restart at a different program I think is significant and someone to agree to do that um, is a big task. Now, maybe that's obviously something he wanted to do. Otherwise he wouldn't have done it because it would have been very easy to just stay at Notre Dame. But um, I think uh, I'm fascinated to see how it plays out. Um, I, I know people say this tarnishes his legacy at Notre Dame. I, I don't, I mean, I think that may have, what happens with Marcus Freeman may have more to do with what Brian Kelly's lasting legacy at Notre Dame is than, than I think like the way Brian Kelly left. I mean, there's, there's no good way to do that. I know it's some people don't like the way it was delivered to the players and um, the fact that his, his, his speech to the players wasn't very long. And um, obviously the players are upset, which is natural. I'm not, I'm not saying that they, they don't deserve to be, but um, I think that um, he certainly has, has his hands full down at LSU, but I think that job, if done right, can be easy. Um, I mean, we've seen coaches win national championships down there that haven't exactly been the most successful coaches elsewhere. Um, so I think uh, that's going to be interesting. One question, I was posed a question yesterday on a USA Today sports Twitter space conversation that I was a part of, of whether or not who would – who would win a national championship first, Brian Kelly at LSU or Lincoln Riley at USC? I'm curious. You don't necessarily have to answer that if you don't necessarily feel like you have a strong answer on that. But how successful do you think Brian Kelly will be at LSU? I'll answer the first question first. I think Lincoln Riley at USC has an easier path to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Pac-12 has been down, so they're just waiting for – somebody could to kind of take that over. I mean, yeah. they have, this will be the fifth year in a row. They haven't made the playoff. And so they're just kind of waiting for one of those programs, Mario Cristobal up at Oregon, 
or whoever they get next at Washington, um, you know, they're it, it's there for somebody to take. Right. So I think Lincoln Riley certainly, if he is a fit in California, he he'll really take off because some of those great California players that have gone elsewhere. I mean, again, you, you look at uh, Alabama's quarterback who's in the running for the Heisman Trophy. Wow, he's from California. Ohio State's quarterback, C.J. Stroud, in the Heisman Trophy conversation. He's from California. D.J. Uyunga Galay, who I just butchered his name, <laughs> and who was the number one player in that class, is from California. So I think um, a lot of the elite talent of, from California was leaving the state. I think Lincoln Riley can make that happen. Uh, and I think he's he's just – I think Brian Kelly is a different cultural fit down there. I think Brian's a really good coach. Uh, the fact that he didn't get some of these assistants to go with him, that he's going to have to start from scratch, I think is going to be harder for him. And, you know, I mean, Brian Kelly and I are about the same age, and there there are lots of coaches, including Nick Saban, that are older than both of us that are winning national championships. Right. Uh, and, and that are doing well, but to bring that energy, he's in the SEC West. You know, there's a big difference between the SEC West and the Pac-12 South right now in terms of getting to that playoff, even though the Pac-12 South hasn't been getting there. The lane is open. It's not open in the SEC West. Yeah, I think uh, it's going to be – an inter- I, I'm very interested to see like what Brian Kelly's fit at LSU is like. Uh, certainly the staff that he brings in will be important. Um, he needs to have people that know what it's like down there in, in Louisiana and to recruit in the SEC um, and t- to be part of that culture because that's so, so, certainly foreign to him. Um, just because he's been able to recruit Jerry Tillery and Logan Diggs to, to Notre Dame doesn't mean that he's totally uh, um, prepared for everything that's going to be thrown his way down in Baton Rouge. But um, it's, uh, I think 10 years from now, I, I don't, I don't know that, I mean, Notre Dame fans are probably going to always feel some type of way about Brian Kelly and the way he left. Um, but I don't think it will be, it will be as big of a deal or they'll feel as torn about it or as angry about it, uh, as they are now. I mean, now he, He's, I mean, he's become a bit of a punching bag in the last couple of days. And I, th- I think beyond just Notre Dame fans, I think fans nationally just like don't really. I mean, there was always a certainly a pretty loud segment of the country that didn't like Brian Kelly from the way he was perceived. One is that the way he was used to more frequently handle himself on the sidelines and the way he carried himself. I think we had a different perspective of Brian Kelly from getting to interact with him in different situations. But um, it, it's been a, a fascinating uh, couple of days. Uh, certainly interesting to see how how much damage you can do in the minds of people who who were pulling for you uh, not more than four days ago. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I I'm curious to see how things play out, especially this weekend if, if Notre Dame can somehow get into the, the college football playoff because this. Uh, uh, this Notre Dame team seems to be getting a lot of public support um, because of the way things have been handled. Yeah, I, I think there's a real feel-good vibe with where Notre Dame is now, and I think that actually helps 
the me memory of Brian Kelly. I think his legacy and the memory of him are two different things. I think his legacy is that he brought Notre Dame back to a point where they could compete for national championships. Right. And I think that's undeniable. I think the memory of Brian Kelly, I do think at least right now his exit is overpowering all that. Uh, and, and it is, it's kind of like, um, you know, Seinfeld, you know, Seinfeld's last episode, <laughs> in my opinion, was awful. <laughs> and, and for it took me a while to get over that, but, but all in all, it was one of the great series of all times, but it is still one of the big clunkers, <laughs> I think, of, as far as a finale. <laughs> Uh, well, hopefully this podcast isn't a, isn't a clunker on the finale of the regular season for Notre Dame. Um, we, we're going to skip the prop bets this week. I didn't have the mental <laughs> capacity to come up with some creative prop bets. Um, but we do, before we get to listener questions, we do have an interview with 24-7 Sports Director of Recruiting Steve Wolfong. Um, and he will talk to us a little bit about everything that happened this week and what that means for Notre Dame on the recruiting front. Steve, I think I think where we want to start is just what do you think the recruiting ramifications are for for Notre Dame with Marcus Freeman becoming Notre Dame's head coach? Well, I think Notre Dame has one of the more now what you're going to see visible head coaches on the recruiting trail moving forward. He's obviously an electric recruiter. He's had his hands on a lot of these guys committed to a Notre Dame class ranked number five nationally. Then you look in 2023 and they're at number two early in the 24-7 sports recruiting rankings. He's a guy, I mean, Notre Dame's last head coach was a closer. He'd come in at the end, work that ninth inning, and help you try and secure some commitments. And honestly, Brian Kelly would do what was asked of him if, if Marcus Freeman would have said, hey, we need to get you on the phone with so-and-so on Tuesday. Brian Kelly was down for that. It just wasn't instinctual or I don't even know if that's the right word. It just wasn't like in his mindset where – I think Marcus Freeman's mindset is going to be get players, get players, get players, get players. How can we get the best players to help us win a national championship? And uh, we've talked about it all the time on uh, us on this show and on different platforms. Um, Notre Dame, they're just trying to find another win or two to win the national championship. And I think from a recruiting standpoint, I think Marcus Freeman can be the difference in two or three recruitments a year, which if you add that up over four years, is eight to 12 players that could help you get another win or two on the roster. So I think from a recruiting standpoint, you're obviously excited that your head coach is going to provide backup. Uh, and again, I'm not trying to say Brian Kelly didn't provide backup or didn't do what his coaches asked him to do. But, um, you know, Tom Reese, when he's recruiting these elite quarterbacks now in 2023, head coach is going to be right there alongside him trying to land Dante Moore or whoever uh, they're really pushing for or, or you know, help Lance Taylor uh, secure another coveted running back. And so uh, I just think um, recruiting just got a whole hell of a lot more important for the head football coach at the University of Notre Dame. There are so many weird twists and turns this could take, including it's funny. What if what if Notre Dame had flipped Walker Howard into this class, uh, and then Brian Kelly doesn't have Walker Howard at LSU? But um, where I wanted to go with this was just focusing on the 2022 class. Do you think Notre Dame can hold on to the rest of these 2022 guys? Do you think they can add to this 
between now and December 15th. Well, I haven't heard any rumors of anyone decommitting that weren't already out there prior to this. You know, you had Devin Moore looking around for sure. And CJ Williams has been taking visits and allowing coaches to come into his house. Every school has that um, where they, no school is uh, absent to losing a recruiter to each cycle. Um, I'm not predicting these, I'm not predicting CJ Williams to go elsewhere. I'm just saying that that's just something that's natural with recruiting across the country. I think that Notre Dame is certainly open to adding potential difference makers to this class. You know, Billy Shrouth is an offensive lineman that they're in a, a war with, with Wisconsin to try and lure him out of the state of Wisconsin. Coach Reese and a few other coaches went up there today. Today is Thursday, uh, December 2nd, and Marcus Freeman wasn't able to go, um, but they got him on the FaceTime, and uh, he is expected to go up there next week and try and close that one. Tom Loy, uh, Irish Illustrated reporting that Notre Dame going to see Xavier Wampa, the number one safety in the top 247 rankings. You know, Notre Dame was in the top three there, sitting third. Um, you know, maybe maybe Marcus Freeman's hiring and knowing that he's going to be there for a while now, where beforehand he's this hot-named defensive coordinator that could go be a head coach or a D.C. somewhere else perhaps, most likely a head coach elsewhere. Now you know he's at Notre Dame, at least for whoever's signing their majority of their career right now, you know, at the very least. Yeah. And so – um, I think that they'll. I think that they would take another difference maker that they feel can get them over the top, whether that's a pass rusher, or an offensive lineman, or certainly a quarterback. Steve, were you surprised? I think a lot of times when a coach leaves, pretty pretty immediately, kids start decommitting. But other than Devin Moore, like you mentioned, no one publicly decommitted from Notre Dame in the wake of Brian Kelly leaving, and it seemed like they're all willing to wait for what was going to happen. And then many of them were even like publicly supporting Marcus Freeman as the next head coach and him being a candidate. Were you surprised how that played out at any way? No, for two reasons. I mean, first Notre Dame's a school that oftentimes it's one of the few schools where a lot of the young men, once they ultimately decide that they want to go to Notre Dame, it's, it's more than football. I mean, they want to play football at the highest level. And those are the kind of guys Notre Dame wants because Notre Dame is a team that can win a national championship. And it is a team where you can achieve your goals of being a, a draft pick. But I think once you then decide that you're going to go to Notre Dame, you recognize all these other things that come along with it that are pretty damn cool uh, for your future quality of life as well. So, um, and then the other side to that is, I think that these guys with Brian Kelly, it was whatever, you know, like good guy, good coach, won a lot of games. I enjoyed my, few conversations I had with him. He was really impressive when I sat in his office, but their relationships are with Reese. They're with Freeman. They're with, you know, um, Coach O'Leary and Mike Elston and and, uh, Lance Taylor, you know, so those, those are the relationships. uh, um, They didn't, they hadn't departed. They hadn't left the building yet. I mean, I think if Marcus Freeman's not the head football coach at Notre Dame, Jalen Sneed, he I think you would have saw Jalen Snead open the process, you know, just to use one example. So um, you look at Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley, he's one of the more visible head coaches on the recruiting trail in the country. So when he leaves, the relationship 
is obviously on the move. And, and, and so it's a little different. And we saw decommitments happen right away because the relationship with Coach Riley was so damn strong. Steve, let's play hypothetical a little bit. Um, and it's hard to project because these guys haven't been recruiting with the Notre Dame sweater on. But but Marcus Freeman versus Luke Fickle versus Matt Campbell, just as head coaching recruiters, who how do those guys stack up with each other? I think Marcus Freeman's one of the more electric, genuine personalities in college football. So not many people stack up with him when you're talking to him. I mean, it's it's incredible the people skills he has, in addition to just the fact that he really believes in Notre Dame's strengths. You guys heard Jack Swarbrick in his press conference talk about how Brian Kelly had to grow into that. Like at first it was the the academic restrictions are a liability, not, not uh, something that's uh, could be of value to us, depending on how you spin it or what, you know, Notre Dame being their football players being more involved in the student body than in other inst- institutions across the country. Marcus Freeman wants all that for the players. He wants to recruit players that are buying into that. He bought into it. He understands what it could mean for a young man to come to Notre Dame and, and really change the forecast of their life in all kinds of ways. And so he, the, the way he embraced that right away and hit the street, hit the ground running is, is um, you know, why he was able to have such fast results because when he spoke about Notre Dame to recruits, it was genuine right away. I mean, he believes in Notre Dame and what it offers kids uh, beyond football, but certainly with football, they're going to be competitive as hell and they want to win the first national title since 1988. And, uh, you know, they're going to go after players in that regard. I think that Luke Fickle, you know, he he's would have been he would have led the charge on the trail from that head coach position as well. I mean, it would have it would have still been light years from what we've seen. And he's not a ninth inning guy. Um, and, and, and Campbell, he you know, he's different than those other guys, but he's a great dude, too. Like he's normal. Like you sit down with Matt Campbell and you're like, this guy's normal. Matt Campbell, man. Like he's just a normal dude, man. I like Matt Campbell, you know? So he, he just gives you a good vibe. Like people, people like Matt Campbell. You're not gonna, you're not gonna poke around and get some bad stories about Matt Campbell. Steve, last question I have for you. I'm curious since you follow recruiting more nationally, have you seen or how rare was the public support that so many of the commits had for Marcus Freeman like sort of campaigning for him to get the head coaching job. Does that help? Does that happen very often elsewhere? No, I think it happens. I mean, like Dante Williams had that at USC this year, you know, and people were hopeful that when he became the interim, that he would ultimately become the head coach. And theoretically, I guess he had a chance to earn that right on the field. If he would have, you know, if USC would have played better, who knows. Right. But uh, obviously the players, they just lost their head coach and what they're familiar with. They love Marcus Freeman. Of course, they, you, that's what they want. It doesn't mean the players are right. They don't even know what's out there. Right. You know, it's up to Jack to sift through that. Jack Swarbrick knew what was out there 
and went with Marcus Freeman. And that's why you should feel even better about the hire as well. It's, you know, the coaches weren't getting calls from Pete Carroll's people hypothetically saying, hey, he's thinking about coming back to college. Now, I don't want Notre Dame Nation or people to run with, oh, Wilt Fong said Pete Carroll was interested. But I'm just saying, like, that's the kind – Notre Dame's the kind of job where who knows where they were getting phone calls from, you know what I'm saying? And so – but Jack Swarbrick knew where they were getting phone calls from because he was the one saying hello, you know. Um, so for him to pick Marcus Freeman, knowing what kind of interest that job uh, was going to attract, in addition to the player support, uh, makes it very exciting. I got two more for you, Steve. One is, what's the biggest challenge Brian Kelly's going to face on the recruiting trail at LSU, especially given the fact at the most two assistants will end up with him and not high-powered recruiters? I just know that the scrutiny in the SEC and the media scrutiny in the SEC is something else. Um, And the uh, uh, the head coaches in that league right now. You have Nick Saban. Nobody watches and evaluates more film than Nick Saban. So when they're recruiting the quarterback position or whatever position they're recruiting, Nick Saban might be a closer when it comes to like recruiting that kid, but he sure as hell knows what the board looks like and why all the time. Like we're all in on this kid. He's our number two receiver on the board. He's our number five receiver on the board, X, Y, Z. Same with quarterback, same with their infrastructure on evaluations is second to none. And so everyone's like, it's easy to recruit at Alabama. It is in the sense, but they pick great players every year because they evaluate them at such a high level. And Nick Saban pours over the film and is very involved in that. And then he's an excellent closer. Like he's, you know, him and Brian Kelly might have that same approach on the, on the trail, but Nick Saban's got a bunch of national championship rings in his office, the most draft picks right now, the most wins right now. And, 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 and so their process of finding blue chippers in that way, it, it works for them. Kirby smart. Nobody's outworking him from a relationship standpoint. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, same thing. Sam Pittman at Arkansas, he's visible as hell. You know, you you got um, uh, all these schools grinding. The old LSU coach was very visible in recruiting, you know, and LSU had three straight top five recruiting classes. Now, it'll be interesting to see how LSU staff comes together because we know that that's going to be where a lot of the lifting is coming from in the recruiting. And all those areas, I don't know, you know, we've, you and I have, all all of us, we've kind of gotten in the weeds and nitpicked some things with Notre Dame to like find an extra win or two. You know, I, 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 it'll be interesting to see how much of the evaluation process Coach Kelly's involved in down there and how much of the recruiting process he is down there because those are wars to get those kids to come play at your school down there because all those schools are, you know, within a, a typically a driving distance from a few of them to, you know, get those kids. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see first how a staff comes together and you got, we know that Brian Kelly doesn't really have much of a coaching network. So once all those guys at Notre Dame turned him around, turned him down, who else does our guy know? Like he knows Alfred, 
and he's not coming. He did offer Tony offered a job, but not coming. Um, he knows Mike Denbrock and, uh, he knows Chip Long. Who else does he know? Bob Diaco and Brian Van Gorder. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Um, my last question, and, and this isn't uh, tell me your favorite child question. Just from a pure standpoint of recruiting, not their coaching position, what was the best keep from a recruiting standpoint among Reese and Elston and O'Leary and Mickens and um, Lance Taylor, who, so, who was the, who was kind of, boy, that's really going to help mark us out keeping this person. Sure. So I think that all the guys that you named put a lot of time into recruiting O'Leary and Mickens. Those guys I don't know as well from the sense of I can point to and say they landed X, Y, and Z. Um, but I know that – They'd like to land X. <laughs> sure. Good call. Uh, uh, but they uh, – I know that they're rel- – I know it's important to them, and I know they get after it, um, and I know I hear their names. I mean, Elston's been around for a long time. But I would say Lance Taylor. And I kind of had this discussion with some of the readers mm. on the board because one of them actually like – when, when it was reported that Lance Taylor was going to be back, that uh, one of them actually said, like, good recruiter, even though he missed missed on Will Shipley. And I was like, yeah, he missed on Will Shipley, but he got Logan Diggs and Audric Estime. And recruiting's not who you didn't get. It's who you got, who you got to come play for you. And when you look at Notre Dame's running back room, it's pretty good. I mean, like, I'll roll with – it's as good – as it's been in a long time. Um, when you look at you know, Kyron, obviously, and, and Chris Tyree brings his own element. Logan Diggs looks like he's going to be a star. I still think Audric Estime has a lot of talent. And this kid they have committed right now from Texas is a good player. Jadarian Price. Even though, even though I know, I mean, obviously they wanted Nicholas Singleton, but Lance Taylor works his ass off on the recruiting trail, has them in the mix for elite guys every year. And you're not going to get them every year, but you know what? He's not shying away from trying to sign those guys. And if he doesn't get those guys, they get a good player. And then he coaches them up. All right, Steve, that's all we got for you. We really appreciate you taking time to talk to us and making us uh, sound smarter this week. No, I appreciate you guys. And how about our guy, Eric Hansen, uh, asking the first question at the, uh, press conference with Jack Swarbrick and the the guy says his name. And then he goes, I have to say my name too. Eric Hansen. <laughs> That's what they know. told me. <laughs> Every time they say that, I either forget or I, I say it and then the person makes fun of me. Uh, Brian Kelly did that once. They go, now you need to say your name and your affiliation. So I said, Eric Hansen, South Bend Tribune, and Brian had a field day with that. <laughs> Well, you guys take care, man, and hopefully you guys enjoy some downtime after. You guys got lucky, man. You guys could be on the Oklahoma uh, coaching search beat right now. Uh, So, uh, Believe me, when we have the energy to celebrate, we're going to. (laughs) Yeah, this this was a wild couple of days, but a couple of days beats a wild couple of weeks. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take it. All right, now it's time for questions. Just tell me when you guys, are we done with USC? Everybody's that you guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about.
All right, let's go. You can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at T James NDI and Eric's at E Hansen NDI. First question we have is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. It has been reported, and now this was obviously before um, last night's news. This question was submitted before that. It has been reported that Tommy Reese would like to stay at Notre Dame instead of following Brian Kelly to LSU. Do you think one of the reasons might be because he would like Brian Kelly's handcuffs taken off him with regards to the offense? Um, I think – I think there was a benefit to Tommy Reese having Brian Kelly. I don't think it was handcuffs. I think it was uh, more like the um, driver's ed break, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I think Tommy uh, feels probably now after doing this a couple of years that maybe his growth curve is uh, better served by him having a little bit more chance to you know, be leading the room and, and leading the discussions and still taking input from other people. But I think probably the bigger thing was, again, his love for Notre Dame and his belief that Notre Dame was at a place where the program could go where it hasn't been since a guy named Lou Holtz was on the sidelines, um, playing for championships, vying for championships. They've got to the playoff. They've been to the playoff you know, more than any other, you know, there's, there's five teams that have been there multiple times. They're one of them. So, um, you know, I, I think that that was a, a big statement and I, I'm not sure that, um, you know, Tommy Reese was really happy about the way Brian Kelly handled things either. And I think Marcus Freeman factors into it, but, um, uh, uh, how's that for avoiding answering your question directly, Marie? Uh, <laughs> but I, I just think there's a lot of layers to it. And I do think Tommy Reese at Notre Dame, I think that's the best place for him right now in terms of him because he brings a huge asset to that and that he's played at Notre Dame and he knows what right. the, those quarterbacks are going through. Yeah, I, I don't know that I would – describe it in the, in the way that Marie did in terms of Brian Kelly's handcuffs. I think he, Tommy will, especially moving forward in his career with what he's able to do moving under Marcus Freeman, be able to say, this is my offense. This isn't Brian. This isn't me working with Brian Kelly to create an offense or to, to coordinate an offense. Um, this is, this is the Tommy Reese offense now. Now it could look very similar. I'm sure they, they have a lot of the same um, philosophies, um, I do think there could be some different there, – there may be some differences that, that we see in Notre Dame's offense with him having full control of that and not the guiding footbreak of Ryan Kelly around. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it certainly – it was probably a tough decision for him. Um, he owes a lot of his career, both as a player and a coach, to Brian Kelly. Um, so I, I imagine that was tugging at him. But he also owes a lot of his, his uh, career as a player – um, and a coach to Notre Dame and the players on this team. Um, and I think those things really pulled him. And obviously Marcus Freeman really wanting him um, was able to keep him at Notre Dame. And certainly there's money that has plays a, plays a role in that as well. Um, but I think uh, it, 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 
it makes I think it makes the most sense to me for Tommy Reese to stay at Notre Dame in this situation. And I think what I I'm I'm curious to see what the offense looks like, but I'm also very interested to see what Tommy how Tommy Reese continues to develop as a recruiter. I think we've started to see him make improvements there and be more aggressive, um, be more hands on, and get a better sense for for how he can be a successful recruiter. And I think. Um, he will be allowed to, although I think he probably wasn't being allowed to already with Brian Kelly as the head coach. I think he's going to continue to grow into that and probably be able to make a better resume for himself to become a future head coach now at Notre Dame than maybe he would if he just followed Brian Kelly to LSU. Next question is from Chris Scheiber at Scheib43. Do you think some of the captains that might have opted out for a pro career like Kyle Hamilton and Kyron Williams might play in a New Year's Six game to be part of their brotherhood, even if there is potential money on the table long-term as a personal stance against what was done to them? I don't know about a personal stance of what was done to them. I think, you know, one of the things that Brian Kelly always said was, this is football family, we're a family. And for about 48 hours, it didn't feel like a family. It felt like a business. And, and, it is. It's both. It's a business and it's a family. It's a family business. <laughs> um, but what happened with with the rally around Marcus, with Marcus being hired, and with all these key assistants staying in place, it felt like a family again. And from that standpoint, I think that um, there, I think it would sway people that were thinking about the portal, people that were thinking about jumping in the draft early and not Hamilton and Williams. I think those guys will go, but uh, I think they would consider playing in a new year six game if they don't get into the playoff where maybe they wouldn't have otherwise, but I don't think it was to kind of thumb their nose at Kelly and say, I'll show you, I'll go play in, in the peach bowl or the fiesta bowl. I think it's more, um, you know, getting swept up in the feeling that it was really a family after all, or that at least that's the vibe they're getting with, again, you know, the Elstons and the Tommy Reese's and the Matt Bayless's all staying it, it, you know, and just seeing some of the parents reacting to that parents of players reacting to that on Twitter was really interesting and neat to see. Yeah. I, I think there will be, there will be more of a tug to do so, but I'm not sure that it, 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 is like the differentiator. It's like they're leaning one way or the other, and this pushes them into playing. I think there will be too many other voices speaking to them, whether it's their parents, whether it's um, advisors informing them of what they should do, that I think that they'll end up making the decision that they probably would have wound up making if Brian Kelly was the head coach still. So I, I don't, I don't, I, I think they may play into that more if they do decide to play. Like, this is why I'm doing this. I, I we 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 got one more game together and whatnot, but I, I think uh, uh, I I don't I'm not sold yet that, that that would be the the reason they would decide to play um, in the in a New Year's Six game. I mean Kyle Hamilton still I mean he's got to make sure that his health is fine. Um, that's always been the biggest factor in in all of this, and um, it it's hard to imagine Kyra Williams sitting at a game just because the the way he plays football. Uh, but I, I I think they're he, he could decide to sit out too. I, I wouldn't predict that just because of his sort of attitude and, and general outlook on playing football. Uh, but um, it, it would certainly be understandable if he decided not to. 
Next question is from Nick at Mr. Groovy, Mr. Underscore Groovy. Which player could help their draft stock the most by deciding to come back to Notre Dame next year? You know, it's not going to be a lot of difference in rounds, but it could be a lot of difference in in zeros at the and commas in the paycheck, and that's Isaiah Foskey. I think right now Isaiah is a day-two pick, probably realistically, um, given everything involved. I think he'll test really well. I think he has a chance to be a top-ten pick next year. And, and so for me, that would be the guy – if I were Marcus Freeman, that I would be working. I think Jason Adam Malola might be able to help himself by coming back. I think Jarrett Patterson might, but, uh, and, and there's guys, you know, more peripherally that, you know, that might be able to help the rounds more. But in terms of pure dollars for me, it's Isaiah Foskey. Yeah, I, I, I'm in agreement there. I think, I think that's a pretty obvious answer. Um, oh, and, thank you that I came up with the obvious answer. <laughs> no, no, I, no. I, I guess you say it's the right answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> not that necessarily that it's obvious. Um, he, I mean, he, he could go into next season as as one of the top defensive end prospects in the country, and I think if he continues to play the way he played this season, would be able to parlay that into a very high draft pick. Whereas right now, we're not sure that he makes it into the first round. Not that. I don't know that I would be shocked if he ended up being a first right. round after this season, but um, I think there's a chance that he wouldn't be this season. Whereas next year, I think the chances would certainly increase. Um, I think to throw another name out there, I mean, it, there's, there's a discussion on whether or not Kevin Austin Jr. wants oh, yeah. to return to Notre Dame. I think yep. certainly he would, he would improve his draft stock. I, I'm not quite sure how high his draft stock is going into this off season based on his small um, sample size. Um, and I think he still has room to improve in his game. He's not a polished product, despite the sort of talent that he has. Now, that doesn't always hold NFL teams back. But, I mean, I think he would probably end up getting drafted. But I I, I don't think he would be drafted in the first couple of days. I think he'd be a third. Yeah, day he'd be a third um, day pick. And uh, I think with another season, he could certainly change that um, yep. to, to be a, a second day pick. Next question is from at Coffee Dark Roast. Back when Chip Long left, players like wide receiver Javon McKinley perhaps made his decision to come back. Same with when Clark Lee left, safety Houston Griffith took his name out of the transfer portal. Can we see the same thing where recruits now may want to play at Notre Dame and transfers won't happen? You know, uh, I don't know what it is about this week, but Coffee Dark Roast should be my my Twitter handle. <laughs> or, or some kind of coffee Keurig Keurig coffee um <laughs> sponsor Eric Keurig get at him yeah so can we see the same things where recruits may not want to play at Notre Dame and transfers won't happen I you know I don't know that there's a long enough window to change the recruiting trajectory of this class since we're two weeks away from it Xavier Wampa is maybe the one guy where maybe Notre Dame makes a move uh, as Steve Wilkfong mentioned in our earlier segment, I think that's realistic. He, but he's picking, he's making his choice on December 8th. That's less than a week away. And it seems like Notre Dame is kind of in third position there. But again, you know, maybe him going from defensive coordinator to, to uh, head coach maybe makes that difference. I think where it's going to make the difference is transfer portal, um, grad transfers, uh, 
you know, again, that kind of group that I mentioned, Foskey, Jason Adam Malola, Jarrett Patterson, I think had things gone a, a different way with the head coach pick and with the assistant coaches. I don't think there's any chance any of those three came back. And I'll tell you, if you get two out of those three, that's probably an extra win in your in your um, win column. It's certainly um, going to make the head coach sleep better at night having those guys. So that's where I think it shows up. Yeah, I mean, it could. I, we still need to see how things play out with with the coaching staff in terms of guys that we don't know for sure if they're going to be back. Whether that's um, Jeff Quinn or um, I, I don't know that there would be a lot of like that would make a significant impact in guys like deciding to stay if Jeff Quinn is no longer here. Uh, maybe Delvon Alexander as the wide receivers coach, maybe that changes some things for some guys. I, I don't know. I think it's too early to say that. And, I, and I, I don't I don't think that plays that big of a role. I think I think it's sort of a in my opinion, it's usually what leads to transfers is usually like guys understanding or sometimes maybe even misunderstanding their their place in the program like they're like well shoot i'm not i'm not passing up these guys on the roster i got to get out here and give myself another chance to me it comes down to that way more often than it does than it does like i don't get along with this coach um because i think there's always uncertainty of the next coach that you're going to be joining how how well i mean you're going to you you know all the good things when you're getting recruited by a coach but then when you play for him then you learn the things you don't like about him so i don't know that that always changes guys opinions obviously and Notre Dame, you're going to see guys most frequently like finish out their degrees before they decide to transfer. So a lot of those guys that were that may be under that consideration will be guys that will be graduating and maybe aren't ready for the NFL yet and want a, a, a maybe a fresh start somewhere else. But this could give them a fresh start. I think the stability on the staff overall won't be. I mean, the, there will be a maybe an invigorating sense in the program, but like they're the order, the pecking order of which guys fall might not change too much um, moving forward. So um, I think uh, it will certainly be uh, an off season with lots of story storylines uh, for Notre Dame, whether that be um, how the coaching staff ends up shaking out or how these guys make decisions on whether to stay or go. Next question is from at Summer John. Any chance Notre Dame goes after quarterback Spencer Rattler? Would they even want him? Well, I, I don't think he's on their radar. All right. I don't think they're on his radar. But if he were, I wouldn't go after him. Um, he's an underclass transfer. So that complicates things in terms of transcripts and so forth. And what are you saying to Tyler Buckner? If you go after Spencer Rattler, it's one thing to go after a grad transfer who's got experience and, and Rattler's got experience, but you know, he got beaten out by a job for the job. I wasn't all that impressed with him. I think he's got potential and so forth, but I'd ride with Tyler Buckner at this point. Yeah. And it, it didn't seem like everything that happened with that quarterback situation played out well behind the scenes. And I don't know that that's a, that's a, um, a variable that you would want to throw into to Notre Dame's quarterback room. The guys that are in there right now are guys that Tommy Reese wanted, um, and I think he feels passionate about those guys, whether it's Tyler Buckner or Drew Pine moving forward and Steve Angeli in the upcoming recruiting class, and we'll see if he can 
maybe get another quarterback here down at, down the stretch um, with with Brendan Clark leaving and obviously Jack Cone moving on. So uh, I don't think Spencer Rattler will be um, necessarily on Notre Dame's to do list. Next question is from Jack Quinn at JQ six thousand and eight. More for Eric, but Tyler as well. What has been your favorite bowl to cover as far as the city, atmosphere, stadium, and free swag for the media? Eric, I'm assuming you didn't vacation in beautiful Shreveport after the 97 Weed Eater Bowl. Okay. Um, I didn't cover the 97 Weed Eater Bowl, but I did cover one a few years earlier than that. I think it might have been 93 because I was covering the Big Ten at the time. So I covered Indiana. And uh, I want to say this, Shreveport has some of the warmest, most wonderful people you'll ever want to meet. They're they're incredible people. And I even think more highly of them because of the city that Shreveport is. There should not be a bowl at that at that city. And and one of my one of the people on the Indiana beat at the time brought his family. I don't know if they're still married. Um, but that was just, that was, um, and such a bad experience. It's given me stories for years, as far as the opposite end, the really good ones, not because of any of the, um, things that Jack said here, the city atmosphere stadium and free swag, but covering a national championship game in 2012 was something I had never done before. And I, really enjoyed the challenge of that and being on that big stage and having the responsibility to to deliver stories in in that setting. So that was really, really neat. As far as his criteria, Jack's criteria, first of all, free swag for the media. If I ever got anything that was worth anything good, if it wasn't a briefcase, my kids would commandeer that before (laughs) I had a chance do anything with it. So I never really ever saw it, but the two that were the best for me were the ones where my kids were with me and their best friend, Earl Wigfall. And that was the, the Fiesta bowl at the end of the 2005 season and the sugar bowl at the end of the 2006 season. I told Tyler a a story about how (laughs) we could have gotten thrown out of our hotel in 2005. I'll tell you the story from 2006. So my kids made friends. We had valet parking there at the hotel. My kids made friends with um, the people that ran the valet parking. Earl and Antonio both could drive. Blake wasn't old enough to drive, so they could use my car when I was working. Um, and they made friends with the kitchen staff. They'd go out and get burritos, frozen burritos at the 7-Eleven at one in the morning, they would come back and the kitchen staff would let them in and let them microwave their burritos in the hotel. But the best part of it was as we were leaving, I went to uh, the valet and I said, I'd, I'd like my car here. You know, here's my ticket. And he looks at the kids and they go, it's okay. He's with us. (laughs) Like, this is my car. <laughs> they weren't going to give me the car unless I had approval from them. <laughs> oh, that's but it, funny. Was, it was fun. I mean, just being able to do things with your family. New Orleans was such a, I had always wanted to visit New Orleans and it was so much better than I had even dreamt. 
and and it still gives uh, Pete Byrne and I our fried cheese, fried cheese, fried cheese thing. We went to a restaurant and I had ordered mozzarella sticks as an appetizer and they were really late getting them out. I mean, we were eating our dinner and this guy comes flying out of the kitchen. I don't know if he thought doing this would make us not mad. And he comes out of the kitchen, he goes, fried cheese, fried cheese, fried cheese, fried cheese. And he says it loud enough for the whole restaurant to hear. I mean, they didn't do that with anything else for that appetizer. So that was part of the fun. And and I won gambling at a casino. I won $7.50 um, uh, playing the slot machines. <laughs> All right, I'll tell this story real quick. So I, I, <laughs> Eric's got plenty I'll, of bull stories. <laughs> the most I'll ever spend is $20 gambling. I only put $20 in my pocket because I don't want to lose more than that. So I go do these slot machines, when, and then I kind of got bored. And so I start with 20 I have $27.50, but they give you a ticket. You know, they don't spit out the coins like in the olden days. So I thought, okay, what do I do with this? And I saw this place where you cash in your tickets. Well, they had scanners where you could have just got for low budget guys like that. You could just get it. I didn't see that. So I was going to where people that win 10,000 or more go and they laughed at me. They go, oh, here's your money, sir. Uh, you could have used one of the scanners, but oh, okay. I think we have enough money in the cash register here. To help you. <laughs> yeah. I, I've been too much, uh, Fewer bowls. I, I think the first bowl I covered was the, the the college football playoff semifinal after the 2018 season. Be, being that I was covering recruiting primarily for the Tribune, I was typically traveling to the All American games at that, that time of year and, and wasn't on the uh, the travel list uh, for the for the bowl games. I my first year full time with the Tribune was the year of the national championship game, and I, I didn't make I didn't make the travel list on that one. Um, and then. I think my favorite would probably be just last year's cotton, cotton bowl slash Rose bowl, uh, the, the, the Rose bowl at, in Dallas and not for any, I think it was mostly just because it was such a bad or bad year in terms of everything going on with COVID. And so there was some normalcy. I mean, it was still different. Like it wasn't, it wasn't normal yet, but it was like the closest I've been, I had been to normal um, going out to some restaurants while I was in, in, in the Dallas area. Um, and hanging out in the 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 media hospitality area, um, so so that that was that was a pretty good time. But the Fiesta Bowl, I will not be upset if we get sent there. I, I know certainly our fans, especially now, want to get in the playoff. But the media will be fully on board with the Fiesta Bowl trip because everyone speaks very highly of the way you get treated out there. Last question we have is from Douglas McAnally at d underscore McAnally. When Andy wins the national championship in Indianapolis this January, who is the statue of outside the stadium? I'm going to guess his name is McAnally. Um, but so, so it would have to be somebody on the current team. I'm going to say Kyle Hamilton. <laughs> I think, I think you are wisely avoiding the, 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 the uh, impetus of the question. I think, I think the question is Marcus Freeman or Brian Kelly. <laughs> I'm going with Kyle Hamilton. <laughs> I think, I think it would be Brian Kelly because Marcus Fre- and Marcus Freeman will get another one eventually. How's, how's that? <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. Uh, it would be the 
craziest storyline for Notre Dame to win a national championship after all this, for them to get into the playoff, first of all, and then to win. But it reminds me of the Steve Fisher, uh, Bill Frieder thing that happened. Do, were, were, do you remember that, Tyler? Are you old enough to I, remember? I, I'm aware of it. That was 1989. That was the year I was born. Right, so okay. I, think it, I think it actually occurred before I was born because I was born in June. So I think if it happened in okay. – Yeah, so March. So Bill Frieder was the longtime coach at Michigan. And Bo Schembechler was athletic director at the time. And Steve Fisher – I mean uh, – uh, Bill Frieder, and he had a really good team, um, said, I'm taking the Arizona State job, but I'm willing to coach through the tournament. And Bo said, pack your bags and get out of here. And he appointed Steve Fisher, this assistant nobody had heard of, <laughs> as the head coach. Well, what do they do? They make the run through the tournament, and they win the whole thing. And Steve Fisher, it changed – obviously the trajectory of his life right. and Bill Frieders, but uh, there is a little bit of that energy in the air, <laughs> the right? Things happen. Saturday. Yeah. I think my, my knowledge of that is I think my mom said she won like my, uh, she won like a, uh, a bracket challenge that year, a uh, bracket pool. My grandpa was, was working in the Detroit area. So there were lots of Michigan fans, but somehow she was the one that had Michigan winning it all. And, and she won uh I don't know how much money it was, but I think it was a pretty good chunk of change, especially when uh, they were expecting uh, a young Tyler James and she was pregnant. So I think she was pretty happy about that. And I, I believe that was Glenn Rice when he set the tournament yep. record for for point scoring. That those are those are the things that I that I know about that. I, I don't think I actually even knew of the Steve Fisher interim coach thing um, until it's it's been it's been mentioned a number of times this week. So that's a uh, that's a fascinating, fascinating wrinkle to that story. And certainly it would, would make for quite the storybook ending to, to Notre Dame season. All right, that's it for today's episode of Pot of Gold. Sorry we took so long to get one to you, but hopefully uh, the amount of talking we did today makes up for it. <laughs> or uh, maybe you've heard too much of us already. Um, if you're not subscribed to us, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you like what you hear, shoot us some stars and leave a review. We'll be back next week with our first preview of Notre Dame's bowl matchup and any other news that may happen between now and then. Um, until then, stick with NDInsider.com for all your Notre Dame football coverage needs. Mm-hmm.